Everybody, welcome to MattNews.biz, the podcast where I share and discuss contrary thoughts, opinions, and beliefs that have been lovingly dubbed Matt News in my circle of influence. All right, so this episode is brought to you unofficially by Restream. Restream is the best way to live stream to YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, and 30 plus streaming sites all at once. You can expand your audience with multi streaming today at Restream.com. Now, I want to give a disclaimer really quick with episode 32. So I had uh, John the Messenger on. Um, That episode is being delayed because of technical technical issues and difficulties I was having. And I want to apologize to John. Again, he's at John the Messenger on TikTok. Um, But once these issues are fixed, you know, I'm going to do some post-processing and stuff. I'm going to release that on YouTube and I'm going to release it to my podcast uh, providers as well. Now, As of tonight's episode, tonight is episode 33, what I want you to do is I want you to feel free to interact with me and my guests tonight during the live stream. Whether you're watching on Facebook, YouTube, or even Twitch, you can connect in the chat section and we will see it and we'll reserve a time at the end to respond back to you. Now tonight, we're talking about the Bible again, which I'm so thankful that I'm getting back to. Uh, But more importantly, we're going to talk about context. Why is it important to understand the context of the Bible? And is misunderstanding the Bible, the context, destroying the church? Tonight, I have Bradley Vasquez with Alternate Media to talk with me. Hey, how is it going, Brad? Uh, it's pretty good, man. It's I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Honestly, thank you for having me on. <laughs> yeah, man, you you reached the big times of uh, about three people watching. <laughs> hey any audience is a good audience right <laughs> that's right that's right man uh now brad or bradley or do you want me to call you alternate media brand <laughs> brad bradley either <laughs> one is fine all right so uh like i was telling you in our kind of pre-show i don't i don't have any whiskey for you but you said you have some i do yes. I, don't, I don't drink so uh, <laughs> hey I, to each their own i respect that decision yeah man yeah uh, so you were recently banned on TikTok. I was, yes. So so that's how I came. I came across your videos. I'm sure a lot of people have come across your videos on TikTok. Um, you know, just especially if you're on Christian TikTok, I feel like TikTok's algorithms are a lot better at showing you what you really want to watch. Absolutely. Um, it's it, it way better than Facebook is right now and Instagram and all like that. But uh, so TikTok, I, I ran across your videos. I find them very informative, especially with somebody like me who – I'm kind of like um, dipping my toe into Hebrew. And so I'm learning it. And uh, I know the, I know the Hebrew alphabet and I can also like, I can read it really slow. I sound like a kindergartner, but like I can read Hebrew. <laughs> yeah, That's, that's the way it starts, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but again, TikTok, you were banned. Yes. Yes. Wow. I, uh, well, <laughs> my best guess would be because uh i did i i did a video uh responding to one of the trends that that i saw on tiktok you know on tiktok there are those trends where people just paste the same audio to their own videos and so on and so forth it just keeps going um so you know there were there was a, a particular trend uh speaking about how uh the Bible doesn't have the word homosexual in it. It's 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 this theory based on the 1946 project and the the mistranslation, quote unquote, of the RSV uh, Bible. Mm-hmm. So it, it 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 just I'd seen it so many times. It just got to a point where it's like, okay, I have to respond to this. Uh, so I did I did an entire video on Leviticus 18:22, um, kind of going into the actual Hebrew words of the text and and how it reads and. Uh, I got a lot of hate from the LGBTQ community. <laughs> I, I bet. I bet you did. <laughs> and what was surprising is that uh, that person found it surprising that you were like locked in on Leviticus 18.22, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's scripture. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, yeah, that's kind of, you know, as we're talking about the Bible and, and I think, I think a lot of, a lot of the controversy centers around, uh, you know, verses in the new Testament, particularly with, with their premise. Um, but, you know, for me personally, I always try and start from the earliest reference possible because that's, that sets the precedence. Right. Um, so whether or not, you know, the New Testament has the, the, the word in there, the New Testament's in Greek, that's a whole other, that's a whole other ball of wax. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if the Bible maintains consistency, then Leviticus 18.22 would set the precedence on how we're to understand it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, I asked you this question before we started, and then uh, you didn't have time to answer me then. So now you can answer me. <laughs> so uh, would you consider yourself a Christian or uh, like, because uh, I guess you consider yourself a Messianic Jew, but does that exclude you from Christianity? Um, how would you how would you label yourself? It's uh, I, I, I told you, you know, before before we came on, it's a complex question to answer, um, namely because there are. Uh, there are divisions even within Christendom on what what actually classifies somebody as a, as a Christian and what doesn't. So um, typically, I, I don't uh, identify as a Christian. I do believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So if your if your um, prerequisite for what is a Christian is is solely based on that, the acceptance of of Jesus and His sacrifice, then. Um, Absolutely. I would say that I'm a Christian by those standards. Um, but if your prerequisite uh, for Christianity um, leads into uh, other doctrinal points of contention, then that's where I, I may say that my thoughts kind of lead me uh, to another another uh, nomenclature. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what are some of those what are some of those doctrinal contentions? Uh, so. One of them being um, a lot of Christianity is uh, predicated on the idea that the Torah, the, you know, the five books of Moses, the commandments are, uh, I don't want to say nullified. I don't think anybody would, 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 you know, say the word nullified, but um, more or less that it's inapplicable uh, for a believer today, um, which I, I would tend to disagree with. Uh, and, and, you know, I've got my own reasonings for that, which if you'd like, we can get into later. But um, one of the other ones, I would say, um, I honor the seventh day Sabbath rather than Sunday. I don't celebrate any of the Christian holidays, but I do celebrate the biblical holidays, Passover, um, Sukkot, you know, whatnot. Uh, and this one always somehow comes up. So I'll, I'll go ahead and head it off before the question comes about, but I am, I am not a Trinitarian. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a weird one. (laughs) (laughs) I want to write that down. So maybe I'll come, maybe I'll circle back to it. Maybe not. Um, But I want to talk about a little bit about your uh, kind of your YouTube page or, or I guess kind of the media thing that you're doing right now, which is uh, alternate media, which you spell alter as an altar, like you know, uh, a biblical altar. Yeah. Uh, so al- alternate media, what is it and kind of what's the goal of it? So me and my colleague Seamus that you, you know, if you, if you look at our videos, you've, you, you've seen a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Um, he and I have kind of grown up uh, in the faith together a little, a little bit. I, I you know, I, haven't known him for my whole life, but uh, I've known him since pretty much uh, senior year of high school. Um, so uh, we we kind of we developed in our faith together and in in a lot of what we've learned, uh, especially him after attending Liberty University. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a lot of what we have learned that a lot of Christianity is not exposed to. Um and you know a lot of contextual points uh, directly from Judaism that actually do lend uh, a a good perspective on even the New Testament, uh, just because it's you know um, idioms, terms of phrase, uh, things like that. If if you're not already familiar with the culture uh, and the history of the time, then it's it's going to go over your head when you read it. You know, if you're not if you don't know what you're supposed to be looking for, you'll never find it. Um, so the goal is really to kind of for alternate media specifically is to make that information available uh, for anybody who's curious to learn it. Um, our, our big series that we're working on right now 
is uh, killing the church, which is a, it's a double entendre. The name is intended for shock and awe, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's, it's, our idea is really to draw both audiences. Um, Obviously the idea of sharing the gospel to uh, the lost, you know, um, I I, I like the idea of having a title that would appeal to atheists, uh, but at the same time, like having a title that would uh, inflame Christians enough to like click on it and see what we're saying. Right. Um, the double entendre of the name, though, is is really that there are certain there are certain things, practices, doctrines that have been longstanding in Christianity, but are are not biblical, strictly speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are the things we kind of we, we aim to kill, and and. Um, that, that kind of shows the reversal there is there are certain things in the church that need to be killed. And those things happen to be things that are themselves subsequently killing the church. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Um, so on your YouTube page, uh, your introductor or introduction, uh, Seamus kind of says that you guys have 30 years of scholarship between the two of you. Yes. Um, so what's your, what's your personal educational background? Uh, my personal educational background is uh, really it's a lot of it's a lot of home study. Um, I grew up with uh, probably one of one of the most biblically devout men for a father that I've that I've ever met. Um, and, and I couldn't I could not stress that enough to you. Um, and you know, so much so that my dad had me uh, memorizing scripture uh, from the point that I could talk. I, I don't remember a time in my life where I was not being uh, forced to <laughs> to memorize verses and then and then recite them. Um, and uh, so growing up in that, um, growing up with certain curriculums, I mean, I understood the finer points of, of uh, Southern Baptist doctrine, which is more or less how I grew up uh, by like the age of 11. I could I could have a full on um, peer-to-peer conversation with an adult about those points. Uh, so from, from that point on, it was really kind of a, uh, a learning curve into the more Judaic side of, of theology. Uh, so I, that's, that's kind of where, where my upbringing has been is that's where me and my dad have met is that one of the, one of the main things we have in common is our interest in theology. So, um, for me, it's not so much uh, credentialed. Um, I, I fancy myself as kind of a theological goodwill hunting. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. But uh, for for Seamus, uh, very specifically, he he has um, uh, since since I've known him, he's he's interned under uh, under youth pastors, and then again spent his time at uh, Liberty University studying uh, theology and and. Uh, uh, history, um, uh, particularly early church history, but uh, history in general. Oh, cool. So what does your dad think about your theology right now? Uh, well, he kind of is the, um, he's kind of the main reason we've, we've gone into it. Uh, so I, I grew up, you know, in, in the Baptist church. Um, and my dad always was a, a well-respected, um, member of the church, um, kind of, kind of right there next to the pastor. You'd have the people who said, well, I wonder what the pastor thinks about this passage. And then you'd have other people who were like, well, I wonder what Brad's dad says about this passage, <laughs> you know? Um, and that's, that's kind of how, how any church we've ever been to that, that was how the crowd divided is like, you know, some, some actually did respect my dad a little more than the pastor. And that became an issue at certain churches. So, uh, but be that, that being what it is, um, my dad is actually the first one who went down this path, uh, being a Sunday school teacher. Um, he, he kind of hit that point where it's like, okay, year in, year out, we go through basically the same lessons. They've got a different mask on them. They, they may feel a little bit different, but like the crux, of the matter of what I'm teaching these people is the exact same lesson. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, he kind of got to that point where he felt like knew everything and that scared him because if God is unsearchable, you can't know everything. Uh, so he, he asked God to show him something new, let his Bible fall open. And there was Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he actually started down this path first and I fought him every step of the way. Um, because, you know, for me, it's like, look, this is the theology you raised me in. And now yeah. you're coming at me sideways with something different. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm going to come back to Matthew uh, 5. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was going to ask you a little bit about how you came to to kind of realize this point of view. We'll just call it a messianic perspective. Yeah. Um, but how, how did you how did you come to the messianic perspective? Was Matthew 5 kind of your the, the opening floodgate? Not really. Um, like I said, I, I actually fought him every step of the way and it, it kind of, it took place in a topical way. So it's kind of just, we, we would argue over specific topical points. Um, and, and I mean, this took place over, uh, probably three or four years and, you know, nights that we would stay up till three 30 or four 30 in the morning, Bibles open yelling at each other. Um, and, uh, over a long span of being wrong in so many arguments, um, <laughs> I, I came to a point where uh, where I actually was in a, a dispute with another uh, another progress. This was a progressive Christian hmm. um, and found myself using the same lines of argumentation that my dad was using against me. And that's where it was like, <laughs> oh, Maybe that's valid. <laughs> <laughs> so what was one of like, what was kind of one of the first topics that you guys uh, discussed that, you know, kind of brought that contention to you? Uh, the dietary issue, actually. Okay. That's that, that, that's probably the, uh, the, the bigger one. Um, the, I mean, the two big ones that you're going to get, uh, it really are always going to be like, you know, the Saturday Sabbath versus Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, and like, you know, the dietary laws, those are like the two big things um, that, that people typically will argue about. And, uh, yeah. So the, the, the dietary ones, I think is, this is like the first one that I remember, you know, having uh, big, big contentions with him on. Mm-hmm. So what it was, it was, well, your point of view now too, um, is it that we should keep these diet, keep the dietary laws? Ab- absolutely. Okay. Okay. I'd have to come back to you on that one too. Cause I'm not, <laughs> I'm not really prepared to have the conversation. <laughs> absolutely. But, but let's talk about this messianic perspective. Uh, what do you see as kind of the primary uh, context of the Bible? Um, or do you see, or do you see them as, do you have a primary context and then they kind of break up in the sub contexts? So, uh, probably the primary context of the Bible, I would say is, I guess, are are you asking like literal versus mystical versus, you know, no, 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 no. I'm more asking because, um, because I've, I've come to this perspective that like, you know, we, we read the Bible a lot of times with Western eyes and, mm-hmm. and the Bible, the context of the Bible is it, this is an ancient near Eastern document. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my answer to that question then would be, um, the Bible is, uh, <laughs> the Bible is a Jewish book written by Jewish people mm-hmm. about the Jewish faith and the Jewish God. Well, Jewish God, that's, you know, yeah, that, that that's that's probably going a little too far with it. But it's the God that the Jews have have recognized throughout history uh, and the Jewish Messiah. Um, and it's been entirely written by Jews. So I would I would I would say the context of the Bible should be understood through the lens of uh, a Semitic Jewish perspective. Okay, yeah, that that that's kind of where I was going with it, and uh, because I I believe the exact same thing is this is a Jewish book, um, it's it's you know you you have to look at it through this Jewish perspective, which is why it's a good idea to go back, like what you're talking about, go back and look at the original context, like go back and look at Genesis one so that you can understand what John is saying in Revelation. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, because when John talks about horns, what is he talking about? Well, what, where else does it talk about horns in the Bible? That's when you're going to learn about all those different things. Absolutely. Um, so what do you mean by uh, when you say Semitic context? What do you mean by that? Uh, I mean, the I mean, very specifically, the uh, the context of the Judaism that existed um, in and around the time uh, that the Bible took place, mm-hmm. you know, so there's, there's the time before Jesus where, 
Um, there's there's not a, a whole lot of, of Judaism uh, to speak of that's been recorded, uh, at least as far as you're not going to find many documents from from that before that period. Mm-hmm. Um, it was carried on in an oral tradition. Uh, so, you know, whether or not you accept uh, the validity of, of oral transmission, um, that that's, you know, a topic of dispute. I've got my own thoughts on it, um, mm-hmm. but uh, I do find it uh, for the most part trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, given the circumstances that it was transmitted under within Judaism, but uh, right. yeah, kind of, kind of that that Near Eastern first century Jewish perspective, um, and and there's there's a caveat to that because you know the uh, so the 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 ruler of the Sanhedrin during the time that Jesus was with in his ministry his adulthood um, that Judaism actually was a little different from the Judaism that preceded that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then also has now lived after that. It's that Judaism really only lasted for seven years, and it's it's isolated within that time slot. Okay, okay, and and that that period before Jesus, you're talking about kind of that intertestamental period. Yeah, yeah, like Book of Enoch and you know Maccabees, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever heard of uh, Doctor Michael Heiser? I have. I get that question a lot, actually, <laughs> <laughs> because like, I, I think I think you would agree on uh, some of the things that he talks about. Um, I want to I want to circle back to the when when I was talking about context, you asked about mythical or literal. So how do you define the term literal one? I, yeah, let's start with that question. How do you define literal? OK, so uh, within Judaism, there are. Uh, many modes of exegesis, but there are four primary ones that are, are all collectively referred to as pardes, um, which, you know, it, Judaism is cool. You take, you know, multiple words and just scrunch them into one word to make it easier to say in conversation. Um, but really it's uh, it's an acronym um, that stands for Peshat, Remez, Darush, and Sod. Um, Peshat would be the literal interpretation of the text. Uh, that is exactly as it reads. That is how to interpret it. Uh, so, you know, there are there are instances where, like the description that we get in the Bible of uh, Lucifer being the king of Tyre, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Peshat would actually say that that's not a description of Satan. That is a description of the king of Tyre. Why? Because right. that's that's what it says. It says the king of Tyre. Right. Um, uh, Darush is is more like the seeking out. Um, it's it's like the and I may be getting this mixed up with. Um, no, yeah, Darush is is the uh, almost like re- reading between the lines. What's it What's it hinting at? Okay. Um, and Remez uh, would be the comparative. Uh, in other words, you know, this looks a lot like this, or this is worded a lot like this, or this is this is spelled a lot like this. And so what do these two have in common? Um, so the two great commandments, actually, the uh, Jewish sage Hillel was the first one actually to put those two together uh, based on the idea that they're both they're both beginning with the phrase and you shall love in Hebrew. Um, and so because they both those two both begin specifically with the phrase and you shall love. He went, okay, well those two go together then. Um, and they're, you know, one's in Leviticus, one's in Deuteronomy. There's two completely separate parts of the Bible that he, he joined together because of the way they're phrased. That would, that would be more along the lines of Ramesh. So would the mystical. So it is, is the, um, the, the deeply mystical, you know, like, um, Man, I don't even know if I could really sum up uh, an interpretation. So <sighs> let's take let's take the let's take one of the most uh, contended stories in the Bible. Let's just go with Adam and Eve, right? Okay. There's people that believe that Adam and Eve were two literal people who were literally created, and the, the entire uh, world literally comes from them. Uh, how would how would you view that? Uh, I mean, so obviously literal, I, I take that very literally. Um, okay. I'm, I'm, a am very, very literalist when it comes to Genesis. Okay. Um, but 
you know, there are, there are other uh, mystical interpretations that undergo uh, what that is. And those are not discounted within Judaism. It's uh, Judaism's it's awesome. So Peshat always takes precedence, you know, whatever the literal meaning is, that's what it is. Um, but they don't just chalk all the others to the side because of that. They, you know, those are, those are also included and, and valued for teaching and learning. Um, so, you know, the idea that Eve was taken out of Adam, um, uh, one of the, one of the understandings is that that meant that Eve existed within Adam prior to being taken out. So she's not really like a creation, but she existed within him. So was Adam a hermaphrodite? Maybe not physically, but he, he certainly had both the ma- the masculine and feminine natures within him prior to the feminine being separated out of him. And that's, that's one of the understandings of that. Um, yeah. One, one understanding I've heard of as well is um, uh, kind of this, uh, how the first five books of the Bible were, almost a, a response to other ancient Near Eastern uh, religions as well. And so that's why you see so, so many similarities is because um, the, the Nefesh and all that jazz uh, coming down and spreading false teachings. And so the, that's where the Torah kind of birthed out of that, you know, uh, combating these false teachings that were inherent in ancient Near East. And so you, Adam and Eve, you know, there's a Greek, uh, a Greek myth where you have the, the first beings had two heads, uh, four arms and four legs because, and then they were ripped apart and they were separated. Yes. You know? And so you kind of see those similarities and things like that as well. Um, so actually I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> I guess just you can see parallels and things like that, you know? And so uh, to take a literal, literal or to take something, you know, mystical and figurative, but I don't know, maybe if you had a different, um, a different example than that uh you know uh, some of them some of them it's it's in like some of them it's literal mm. in as much as you account for the mystical uh so uh, you know one of the most one of the most disputed examples in all of the old testament i think i can think of would be like the nephilim um mm. right because nobody can decide whether or not those are the product of angels and humans mating or if they were the angels that mated with the humans or you know what are they right um because it's almost mentioned as a side note and so that's what i meant not nefesh but nephilim that's what yeah, i was nephilim, i was gonna say nefesh yeah, yeah, yeah. is nefesh is uh the soul. The, the soul the animal soul yeah yeah um so yeah the, the nephilim is that's one of those where uh one of the one of the Jewish commentators, Ramban, um, or or you may uh, you may know him as Nachmanides. A lot of people may know him as Nachmanides. Ramban is like you know again that whole shortening of his name. It's uh, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, um, Moshe son of Nachman. Uh, so he wrote uh, a com- a commentary in response to Rashi concerning the Torah. Um, so when it comes to the Nephilim, he says the blatant literal reading of that passage is exactly as it's intended to be understood, provided that you take into account the inherent mystical nature of it. Mm. That's, you know, well, that's weird. So the idea that angels came down and mated with human women. Okay. That's the, that's the literal idea that we get. So how do you mystify that? Um, and that I could go on about that for a long while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, see, I love, I love those kind of conversations. Like, you know, cause, uh, I, I think that I, I, I like this Jewish exegesis that you pointed out because, um, it, it, it gives you that, those different levels of like, you know, you want to read it in a literal you know, you want to lead, read it literal, but you also want to make sure you read the subtext that's in it. And so the question I was asking about, you know, how do you define literal is because like I would say I, I take a literal reading of the Bible, but I read it more literary. Like it is a piece of Jewish literature that we are to understand, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so and so not every story is for me is literal in the sense that it took place exactly the way the way it says. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so as a side note, interesting thing that, that you might, uh, find interesting regarding the, uh, the, those modes of exegesis, um, the gospels appear to all four have been written pertaining to one of those modes. Um, hmm. 
So, you know, keep that in, keep that in the back of your, in the back of your head when you're reading the gospels the next time, because you'll, you'll notice it. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, as far as certain things, not, not intending to, to actually be literal. I, I think I, I've mentioned uh, maybe not in one of my TikToks. Um, I think I mentioned it in another interview, the, like the book of Job, for example, is mm-hmm. is viewed as poetry it, it it doesn't necessarily have to be literal it's not to say it's not literal right um, you know, i don't i don't think judaism would discount uh, whether or not it's literal but i, I don't think it, it matters a whole lot for them because they do read it as a poetic reading mm-hmm. yeah uh, uh so i don't know if you're familiar with the bible project uh somewhat okay so so th- on there uh the main doctor theologian guy is dr tim Mackey, and he actually takes the stance that uh the book of job is a uh um uh uh crap what's the word uh parable so it's uh, so it's not not to be taken as a literal story but more of a parable more of a like hey this is kind of the way things work kind of story you know yeah um he takes that kind of that point of view but you know, it's 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 cool to see that that's not just something that he kind of pulled out of his butt. That is this, you know, it's it's got a precedent in Judaism as well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So what uh, what is the bare minimum that you think that a Christian should that that a Christian needs to know about uh, not only their faith but but context, just the context of the Bible? Ooh, what a question! Um, <laughs> because they're it it really it depends on what you know which one of the books of the bible you're you're talking about so you know paul philip levertov um was an orthodox jew grew up orthodox jewish and he uh he happened upon one of the one of the gospels or a copy of the new testament um i think first he happened upon a gospel uh and read through it and you know found jesus to be one of the most fantastic hasidic jews that ever lived like that's mm-hmm. that's how he understood this guy um and uh, then later found out that that's the that's the Jesus that, you know, Judaism has abhorred for so many years. Um, and uh, he took it upon himself to read through the New Testament. And when he read through, you know, like Paul and John, what he surmised is that Christians do not know what they're reading because they don't have an education in uh in the more mystical uh, teachings of Judaism. So uh, he wrote a book or really a pamphlet called love in the messianic age where he, he kind of expounds on the key to understanding John and Paul is Tanya. Uh, Tanya is a series of writings uh, in Judaism that, that kind of, uh, they go a little bit into the, the more mystical teaching, um, and it's really it's a five volume set intended to explain the portion of the Bible that says uh, the commandment is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. So the fact that Jews can go on for five volumes to explain what that <laughs> phrase actually means should tell you exactly how how broad that is. Right. Um, it's actually I've got it on my shelf here that that would be the set. <laughs> I was going to ask you, how do you spell uh, Tanya? Uh, T A N Y A, T A N Y A. Yep. Okay. Um, the the copy that I've got you can find on Cahote Publishing or Cahote Online. Um, and I I can tell you personally. Uh, I I remember reading reading through John and Paul. Uh, before I had actually gone through that, um, it's it's a year long study cycle. It reads almost like a like a Bible study that has you know okay this date you read this reading and this date you read this reading right. So it, it'll last you a whole year. Um, it wow. starts at it starts at the Hanukkah like Hanukkah is when the cycle starts. Um, and uh, after a year studying it, um, I I can tell you like my whole perspective on John and Paul's changed completely. Mm. Cool. Cool. That's cool. So what, uh, so if you could pull out one thing that shifted your perspective in the Tanya, what would it be? Mm, The anatomy of the soul. Okay. They they spend a a good long while, uh, explaining, uh, the anatomy of the soul, the function of the soul, how it, how it relates to God, um, how, you know, how it either draws nearer or, or, or grows farther from him via, you know, uh, your relationship with God and, you know, um, 
sinning or not sinning. And, uh, that, that really would be the entire first volume. It's, it, it, it is a little monotonous. The, the first, the first volume opens up with a question and then spends 13 chapters explaining and kind of <laughs> deconstructing your worldview before it answers the question. So like you get to the 14th chapter and they answer the question and you're like, Oh my gosh, I forgot there was a question. <laughs> <laughs> so when you talk about anatomy of the soul are you kind of uh so, so there's a joke in my office because whenever somebody comes into my office the the first question i ask them especially if they're kind of newer um i say you know trichotomy or dichotomy like i just point at them and i ask them that is that what it's about anatomy of the soul or is it something completely different and i just need to read the book um <laughs> Yeah, I, w- I would say probably just need to read the book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, some of now I will say some of it, some of it may fall completely on deaf ears. Uh, admittedly, when I read through it, uh, there's a large portion of it that went way over my head because it's written from the perspective that the reader already is familiar with certain concepts and certain uh, certain you know understandings within uh, deeper Judaism. Okay. So you know, it's it's one of those that that. Uh, reads as though the reader already understands a lot of what is like written in the Midrash and in the Talmud and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> All right, man. So I want to get to uh, your series on Matthew five. Okay. Uh, um, because I just, it's really just questions. It's I'm not, you know, trying to debate you or anything like that. It's just really questions. Um, so, I, I kind of titled it for you. I think you might have you might have called it this too, but it's uh, until all things are accomplished, mm-hmm. um, because that was kind of what I what I picked out. Really, you know, I picked it out for the most part, and it was really the video that was on Matthew five eighteen that I want to talk about, um, because you said that until the events of Revelation. So I wanted to ask you, what's your eschatology? um i I would say my eschatology is is uh most certainly (laughs) post-trib post-trib okay well uh if we're talking about let's uh let's talk about uh millennial reign yeah okay okay so the millennial reign is is the event that we we see beginning uh, when when you see you know the son of righteousness coming with the clouds. That's to usher in the millennial reign. That that would pretty much be my eschatology on that. Okay, so uh, to clarify, <laughs> um, so what I'm getting from you is that you're a pre-millennialist, so that you uh, you believe that the, the return of Jesus, uh, not necessarily the second coming, but the return of Jesus uh, is going to happen before the millennial reign because um uh so with most eschatology it's broken up you can break it up into pre-millennial uh all millennial and post-millennial as far as millennial reigns go um so uh all millennials believe that we are living in the millennial reign but that it's a heavenly millennial reign so god so jesus is reigning up in heaven right now but he does not reign on earth um and the worldview I'm working with currently is a post-millennial worldview, which is we are living currently in the millennial reign of Jesus, but he reigns both on heaven and, and on earth. Um, so I think that yours would be um, we are not quite we are not living in that millennial reign. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say so. Um, OK, for, for a few reasons, but OK, yeah, go ahead. Go into those reasons, because now it's just kind of free flow. Uh, well, <laughs> well, one of the primary ones, and I, I don't know if I bring this up in the in the Matthew five set of videos, or if I brought it up in in my set of videos pertaining to Sukkot. Um, well, I know your I know your Matthew five video was more focused on should we, you know, uh, is it a kind of a Christian's duty to to continue following the law or not? Yeah, you know, I just picked out the eschatology portion of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, I, and I, I think it may be in that, in that video that I mentioned it just kind of as a, here's a proof text, you know, briefly, but um, uh, there, there is a verse in Zechariah that specifically outlines that uh, the nations, um, not just Israel, you know, Israel will be a kingdom at this time, um, but that the nations uh, will either observe the festival of Sukkot or they will not get rain. So it's, that's an either or you either observe the festival as God commands or you get drought. And uh, that that and also uh, the 
the prophecies concerning the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 are in a way predicated on things that have not yet come to pass. Okay. Say that again. Say that one more time. Uh, the prophecies in, well, so the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 contains uh, prophetic elements uh, that Jews acknowledge as prophetic um, that have not yet come to pass, uh, which okay. are which are things Judaism acknowledges will precede the messianic coming. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I'd have to study up on that um, a little bit more. Um, but one of the things that you said was Jesus accomplished part of what the Messiah um, was supposed to accomplish, but not all of it. What else was the Messiah supposed to accomplish? So this is actually exactly what I was referencing to before. So when you read uh, Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31, and I think it goes through verse 34, um, you know, God says, uh, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Okay. So the, the precedence that we have is that God is acknowledging the divided kingdom because Israel was a divided kingdom. Right. Uh, so he's saying that he'll make a covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So both both of these divided kingdoms are included in this covenant, um, yet they are still divided. And then in like the next few verses, he says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel in those days. Um, that is that is an acknowledgement of the divided kingdom uh, coming coming together, becoming whole again uh, of a unified Israel once more. Um, so one of the, one of the missions of the, uh, the son of David specifically uh, would be that he would unify Israel, um, gather all of the Jews uh, back to Israel uh, as, as his subjects and uh, rule from there. Mm -hmm. So uh, the fact that not, not only are all Jews not in Israel, but also that, uh, the lost tribes are still lost. Um, that that kind of stands as a, a historical uh, quirk in in the idea that we're living in the uh, the you know the post millennial uh, era. Okay, yeah. Uh, so the the way the the, uh, the way I would view that is um, in me and uh, I was talking to you about me and my buddy Ken. Uh, we were kind of going over the divided kingdom. We were literally just going over this like not two Sundays ago. Um, and we would ask the question, well, when did Jesus accomplish this, bringing the divided kingdom back together? Um, you would say that he hasn't done that yet. Um, I would, I would argue almost that this was accomplished in acts when, uh, you know, when, um, uh, Peter is giving his, his, his message and they're speaking in tongues and about that. And all of these people that are gathered together, it says right there in, in Acts, I think it's two or three, that those people were, uh, for, were Jews and they were gathered in you know, Jerusalem at that day. But they all spoke in different tongues and all the tongues that they were speaking were different Gentile nation tongues. And but that Peter was able to speak or, or that, that they were hearing the gospel in their own native language. And so that's when Jesus kind of called together those, the, the kingdom back. So, um, and I'm not that, super versed in it. So like, I'm not like, I don't have the ability to argue it. It's just an interesting point that, you know, kind of, uh, it's, it's just funny that, you know, you're talking about that now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it's, that's Acts chapter two. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it, I, I would say, um, from the perspective, I would say that that would make sense. Uh, mm -hmm. but you, you do have to take into account the diaspora at this time. Okay. Um, so the diaspora, there, there were Jews living abroad all over the world, uh, mm -hmm. at this point. Um, and because of that, I mean, obviously, uh, the command is to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the highest of the holidays. There are three throughout the year, uh, Pentecost being one of them. So that's, this is why they would all have been in Jerusalem. And the, the miracle being that, you know, obviously in Jerusalem, they all would have been speaking Hebrew naturally. Uh, but at this point, you've got, um, you know, as far as they know, uh, less educated men speaking, you know, Chinese or or, mm. you know, uh, whatever, whatever language, the region of the world that they came from. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's an interesting point. <laughs> that, absolutely. I, yeah. yeah. Cause, Cause that's, cause I did, I wrote that down like the 10 lost tribes of Israel, but if we, but uh, in my point of view, if the 10 lost tribes of Israel were kind of preached to, 
at that moment, at that day, and that's Jesus accomplishing that, bringing the, the divided kingdom back together in Acts chapter 2. Uh, I, I would say, given the caveat that none of them really know which tribe that they're from, um, and off the top of my head, I, 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 I couldn't remember which verse says it, but um, there, there is a passage in the Bible that that is again one of the one of the Messiah's uh, duties is to uh, explain to everyone which tribe they belong to. Hmm. Hmm. But so do you think that they would know that themselves, like even being spread out what tribe they're from? Um, So there actually is. There are a few uh, schools of thought. So um, within the Hebrew roots movement, the 10 tribes theology is actually very prominent. Now, none of them would know directly which tribe they come from. Um, Hmm. There are methods of historical research you can kind of make a good guess at. Uh, like I, I think, um, those who hail from like, you know, Scythian lineage, uh, have surmised that they may descend from the tribe of Dan, um, Mm. which, you know, which that there's, there's even somewhat of a biblical precedence for, for at least acknowledging a Jewish heritage because, you know, Paul in another verse, again, I, I, off the top of my head, couldn't, couldn't cite to you which one, um, but Paul is kind of comparing the good and the bad. And there's a certain part where he says barbarians or Scythians. And it's like, well, who are the Scythians? It's the only time in the Bible they're ever mentioned. Mm. Um, and they're compared to barbarians. So they're obviously preferable to whoever the barbarians are. Um, but also, I, I think there are even some people who think like the that the Danish uh, uh, may descend from from the tribe of Dan. Uh, outside of that, um, I, I, I've never really heard any valid explanation as to what tribe people think they descend from. Um, I know within the Black Hebrew Israelite movement, there are subsects that believe that uh, all ethnicities except white Europeans uh, represent the, uh, the the other 10 tribes. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> right. It's one of those where it's like, how do you even come to that? <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh so another thing i want to talk to you about too is uh your explanation of matthew i think it's fifteen nineteen, um or 519 was it 519 or 1519 519 okay so 519 um and you talk about how uh and this is kind of more of uh the law following the law um because I had I had a ton of questions about like the law and about that, and it was just going to be more debatey than it was like me actually like <laughs> asking questions. Um, because I watched your video about the sacrificial system and, and and Jesus did he come and nullify the sacrificial system? I found it super interesting. I found it very interesting, and I, I you know I'd love to explore that a little bit more. But I get for me it kind of brought up these questions about as a Christian, should I follow the law or not? And you stated in uh, your TikTok that you don't, it's not required for salvation to follow the law or not, you know, uh, but that they'll be seen as greater or lesser than in the kingdom of heaven. However, (laughs) in Matthew 20, it says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, which we know that their righteousness wasn't very righteous at all. um, It says you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the, for me, that kind of negates that statement. That so is greater or lesser. So there is there is something to that. Um, so he says your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, this this points out a few things. Uh, the first being that he acknowledges that the Pharisees do have a righteousness to speak of. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for their day, they actually were the the most righteous as far as what could be observed. Okay. okay. Um, and uh, there's uh, there's another passage, and I want to say it's in Mark, where where you know uh, Jesus reprimands them for uh, being being so stringent as to like you know tithe on their spices, but like then withhold money from their parents if they're in need. Um, and he, you know he he accuses them of having you know uh, uplifted the lesser matters, negated the the weightier matters. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing to note about that is that. He tells them that the the weightier matters they are the what they should have done, and yet still not left the other undone. So he's saying absolutely tithe your spices, um, but don't don't neglect what what's really important there. The the trouble that we see on 
on the issue of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. And this is this kind of goes into uh, what I was saying earlier about how the, the Judaism that existed during Jesus' adult ministry is not the same as the Judaism that preceded it uh, or or um, lived beyond it. Uh, it's, it's kind of isolated within that seven-year time block. Um, that those Pharisees did, uh, a lot for show. So mm-hmm. outwardly, uh, there were, as far as what could be observed, uh, they were very righteous as far as the standards of the law, because I mean, the law is how you gauge righteousness, right? Um, mm-hmm. that's, that, that's the idea. And, uh, but they did it for show, uh, rather than out of love for when you get into this, uh, <laughs> what you're, what you're going to very quickly find out is, um, that if you're not doing it because you mean it, it doesn't count. Mm. Uh, so having righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees is, is easily as simple as, uh, doing the law and meaning it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, for me, it, it kind of made me think of, of, uh, when in, hold on a second. in Galatians three, um, it talk, Paul talks about, you know, righteousness and the promise promise that uh, was given to Abraham and the law and the promises. Um, and well, the, there was a point I wanted to make with it. I, I, I don't want to read the whole thing because <laughs> um, it says all who rely on works of the law are under a curse because it is written. Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. And that's kind of what you're saying. Um, not but that's really. A, uh, well, I, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm saying that. And so you got to understand the perspective Paul is writing from. Okay. Um, uh, so, you know, uh, in, in Romans seven, um, you know, he, he explains that uh, those who are, who are under the law are, are subject to keep the whole law. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you've got a, a new movement of, of Gentiles who are, you know, green and, and, you know, fresh from the crop, uh, so to speak, mm-hmm. A lot of them, um, a lot of them at the time were actually attempting to uh, convert to Judaism because as far as far as they knew, that's how that worked, right? Uh, Paul is encouraging them not to undergo a full conversion to Judaism uh, because that actually would put their lives in danger. Um, because when you convert to Judaism, you are then subject to a Sanhedrin court. So you know things like. Uh, violating the sabbath that comes with a death penalty um and if if you're not really uh fully aware of everything you're not supposed to be doing on the sabbath then you know an an ignorant gentile may very well make a mistake that would cost them their life in this time if they were actually like converted to judaism however if they're not converted to judaism they're not subject to the sanhedrin court uh, therefore, you know, they can observe as much as they're able, uh, like Cornelius in uh, Acts chapter 10. Um, but uh, they are not subject to any death penalties should they make a mistake. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess the point I was just trying to make more of in, in the Galatians was uh, where it talks about um, in verse 11 that the. Uh, now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Um, the one who does these things will live by them, but the law is not based on faith. Instead, the, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it talks about the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus. So, you know, of course, Galatians, he's talking to Gentiles so that, we could receive the promised spirit through faith. So talking more, more on faith, mm-hmm. um, he even talks about why was the law given? It was given for the sake of transgressions until the seed would come. And he talks about the law more of like the schoolmaster or this guardian. And then he makes the statement that we're no longer under the guardian. Yeah. And, and so I'm not disagreeing with anything that Paul is saying there. Um <laughs> I, I absolutely would say, you know, the same as Abraham and Jews have throughout time always, always said um, that, you know, righteousness is is by faith uh, okay. the same way, the same way it was imputed to Abraham. 
I, I even think in in my video, uh, in our video about the sacrifices that we we read through a portion of uh, Judaic commentary from the Chumash uh, mm-hmm. that actually outlines that that they fully understand that uh, before getting into the sacrifices. So it's kind of shapes your mind before you start reading about the sacrifices that they fully acknowledge that righteousness is only uh, by faith. Um, as far as being under the law and being subject to the law, those are not the same thing though. Um, so yeah, as saw- far as, as far as the curse of the law, um, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the law is, that's not to say that the law in itself is a curse. Uh, the curse of the law is the curse that comes with breaking it. Um, that would be like, you know, so the curse of, of modern day traffic laws is that you get a speeding ticket if you exceed the speed limit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, Jesus being a, a good uh, attorney and, uh, you know, buddy who posted your bail for you and uh, took the points on his driver's license for you and, you know, paid your court fees. Um, him having done that does not negate the speed limit. OK, does that does that make sense? It makes it makes sense. I guess I, I still um, I guess I want more clarification on what you're talking about, subject to the law and then. What was the other term under the law under the law? Yeah. See, when I when I have exceeded the speed limit and Uh, I receive a citation uh, for having exceeded the speed limit and now I'm I am I am uh, due to uh, go to court at that point, I'm under the law. If I am traveling the speed limit, I am subject to the law. Okay. Okay. yeah, I'd have to I'd have to look look at that more. <laughs> <laughs> so I, one of the easier ways to kind of, kind of, you know, break that whole, that whole idea down uh, is, is this like, what, what, what do you think the biblical definition of sin would be? If you could single out a verse uh, or a philosophy that like defines sin in, in dictionary fashion, what would it be? Uh, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the whole uh, uh, hamartia um, where it's, it's, it's missing the mark. You know, you're missing the mark of God. Um, so that's would, actually that's a that is a Jewish concept. The 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 Hebrew word for sin actually does mean exactly that. That's what it means. Is right. But um, but biblically, yeah, go. Well, I, I would say I, I guess um, because like because in one of your videos you said this, and I I agree with it, you know, as well. But um, without knowing the law, you don't know, you know, if you're sinning or not. So you have to have it's transgressing against that. Yeah. Transgressing against that law. Yeah. So and that's that I would say the Bible, the Bible agrees with that. So, you know, first John uh, three, four is kind of where we where we see a dictionary definition. John says, you know, he who sins transgresses the law because sin is the transgression of the law. So if we have if, if we if we if we take the law for what John describes it as, it's it's the metric by which we discern what is and isn't sin. Um. And what what would you say the opposite of sin is? Um, not sin. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, man, you caught me off guard. Uh, I guess I would say righteousness, a that, right stand, a right stand you know, of God. When you're when you're doing actions that god himself would be doing you know when, right. you're, when you're giving in charity and things like that that's uh that is that is acting like god in the moment you mm-hmm. know so yeah that that would be that would be that would be righteous for sure mm-hmm. um but uh, again it only it only truly is righteous if it's coming from a heart of love uh for god you know it's it, one of those where like you know i'm gonna go hand a thousand bucks to some homeless guy and i'm I'm going to film it the whole time. Right? Yeah, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, that's, now I'm not doing it for the right reasons. Now I'm doing it. So everybody pats me on the back for it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, um, that's that I would say is where the difference is. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, it, I guess it just comes, it comes with the concern uh, of people becoming another Pharisee kind of thing where, you know, they, they want to try to do the letter of the law to the point where they kind of over, you know, over, um, emphasize the law, you know, instead of kind of, cause I do believe that, uh, you know, faith without works is dead. You know, like if you're not showing that you have the faith that you say you have, then you don't have the faith you, you say you have, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I agree with that. And then how would you know that you're doing those works? Well, you'd have to have some kind of standard to set it, set it by. Um, I, I guess it's just that, that fear 
that fear that you're putting people back under under the law as in like you know you're putting them back under that weight you're putting a heavy burden on them that they can't carry i think that's the that's the concern yeah i i i guess my only trouble with that is that you know um this is a this this is the same burden that um Jesus himself carried and and he said his burden is easy and his yoke is light. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those that if you are a believer, I would say you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And that's actually the direct context that Paul is 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 using those words in. He's he's explaining that you know these things are not too hard, not too hard. First John 5 3. By this we know that you love the brethren, that you love God and keep his commandments, because his commandments are not grievous. Um and uh, it, Moses himself, again, the, the entire, the whole of Tanya is built on on where Moses says, you know, this commandment is not too far away, where which so as to say it's not too hard. Right. Um, it's very near to you in, in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Uh, now, the... the what what I think you'd find fascinating, and again, I couldn't I couldn't summarize it here, but the uh, the distinction between you know in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Um, mm-hmm. That's really kind of what what that's another one of the things that Tanya like hits really heavy on on mm-hmm. why the difference between all of those and how that looks in practice, and that's that's why earlier I used the example of charity is because the Hebrew word for charity is tzedakah. Coincidentally, it's also the word for righteousness. That's like, as, as far as Jews are concerned, that is, that is one of the most righteous things you can do is to be charitable to another person. Wow. That's cool, man. Uh, well, if you have time, uh, there's a couple things that were said in the comment section, not the, uh, not the pizza talk, unless you want to talk about pizza. We I'm can sure. talk about pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I love pizza. <laughs> Um, no, but it's this one right here. Uh, um, so this is my buddy, Adam Graham, me and him actually talked about uh, Zionism, uh, on a couple of episodes. So you might find that interesting that we talked about that. Um, but he says, uh, at the same time, we interpret the old Testament in the light of the new, i.e. progressive revelation. Uh, what, what are your kind of thoughts on that? Because uh, just from the way I'm hearing it, you would, I, I would almost think you would disagree. <laughs> Yeah, um, progressive revelation is. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't typically subscribe to like the idea of modern day prophets. Um, you know, it, it it's one of those things that I, I I don't really see a precedence for even in the New Testament, um, out, outside of its particular context. Uh, but for me, really, uh, the Bible. Uh, the Bible, certainly the, the New Testament can shed light on certain things in, in the old and in as much as some of them are, are uh, more detailed um, or even uh, I, I've used this example before as well in one of my TikToks. But uh, in the book of Jude, um, Michael, the archangel and Satan dispute over Moses body in Hebrews, we read an entire account of Moses and his life that you'll never find in Exodus. Mm-hmm. You know, these are, these are things that are not in the old Testament, but they inform on the old Testament. They're actually taken from the Jewish Midrash, um, which is, you know, is based on, on that word Darush that I, that I explained earlier from the four forms of exegesis. Um, um, Midrash Rabbah is, is kind of like the, uh, it's telling the story that we're not given in the biblical account because, you know, the biblical account has a purpose. Um, And so uh, within that there's, you know, there are other, there are other parts of the story that, you know, we're not necessarily told. um, And it's, it's not necessarily viewed as even in Judaism as being, you know, divinely inspired, but nonetheless historically accurate. Mm. Um, And so, you know, there's questions like, well, why did God choose Abraham? I mean, you know, really why? It's kind of random and happens out of nowhere. But the the account of Abraham and the fact that he destroyed the idols that his father made, because as the story goes in Midrash, his father was an idol maker, um, which he couldn't abide because he could look at creation and observe that only one great God could have done this. And so he destroyed the idols and whatnot. And that proved to God that this was someone who was worthy of his promise. And, you know, uh, so it's stuff like that, um, that the new Testament actually does influence on. Paul uses a lot of Midrash, uh, in, in his, in his writings, but, Mm. um, as, as, as far as for me, 
the entire the entire whole of the Bible really is a repeat of Genesis and Exodus, thematically speaking. The Bible is full of thematic repetition. Um, and what I tend to see, at least as far as I read in the Bible, is that the narratives of Genesis and Exodus are just copied and pasted over and over again uh, with different elements to the story. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then this, uh, it's the same, it's same. It's Adam still. Um, he put Ugh, one law theology. I don't know. I, I don't know what one thought one law theology is. I'm, I'm, I can assume what it means. Uh, do you, can you kind of shed light on one law theology? Uh, I don't know that I've ever heard it characterized as that, but if I, if I had to guess, um, I, I would say that it is, um, it's, a, it, it's, it's an attempt to describe what I believe, uh, which is that there is one law, um, for, for all of God's people. You know, if you're, if you consider yourself a subject of God's kingdom, then God's kingdom has laws. Uh, or if you consider yourself, you know, part of God's family, um, you know, as, as the Bible would, would account for it, uh, the Jews are his natural born children and, and Gentiles who are now grafted in, uh, as we read in Romans 11, Ephesians 2. Uh, are the adopted children. Um, uh, you wouldn't have a separate set of rules for your natural children and your adopted children. You would, you know, they, you would have the same house rules for them all. Um, so yeah, that would be the one law. Whereas, uh, as, as I indicated earlier, uh, Christianity uh, is, is predicated mostly on the idea that, you know, there was, there was the law back then, but that's not for us today. Or some schools of thought are that those laws are for the Jews and they're still for the Jews, but they're not for Gentiles and right. You know, uh, yeah. so, so on and so forth. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, that's pretty much all I have. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, That's good. It was, it was a good yeah. discussion. It's good, good questions, man. Um, sweet, sweet. Uh, so, uh, what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to kind of wrap up real quick. I'm going to ask you to stick around and we'll do some post-show talk and everything like that. Uh, so just give me one second. Uh, anything you want to plug? Um, I, you know, my, um, you can look for me on TikTok. I, you know, I, I, I enjoy, uh, you right know, now your yeah, <laughs> but uh, no, I really, I guess my YouTube, my YouTube channel, alternate media um, spelled like you see it here. Uh, yeah. Send us questions, post comments. We, you know, we love that. That gives us ideas for new content. We actually just the other night filmed in preparation for the holiday season uh, the same way we did a pastor uh, Easter um kind of comparison uh, episode. We had recently done an episode um, kind of weighing out uh, Hanukkah and Christmas. Yeah. So that, that'll be an interesting one. <laughs> Bro, if you did a series on these uh, four forms of Jewish exegesis, that would be amazing. We, so we've thought about that. There, there are certain things. So killing the church has a purpose. And so we're kind of trying to stick to the purpose of killing the church. There are other right. things where we're, we've had discussions of branching out and doing, um, and maybe making some of it exclusive. We, we've talked about, you know, getting a Patreon going because eventually he and I want to do this for a living. I mean, right. you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a mechanic slash service writer right now. I would really love this is what I love doing. So mm -hmm. I would love to I would love to be able to make a living doing it. But um, killing the church is our, our free our free service and maybe a couple of others, a couple of other podcasts, uh, a weekly Torah study we'll probably do as, as, a, as a free service. But there are some other ones like that. Um, that we've, we've talked over doing, uh, in greater detail and, uh, using that as like, you know, exclusive content. Cool. Cool, man. All right. Well stick around for me a little bit and we'll do like a little post-show thing. Um, all right. So everybody, I hope that you enjoyed this conversation, uh, that I had today with Brad, uh, alternate media is on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Brad and his co colleague Seamus are also on TikTok with their own respective accounts. All that information, I'm going to post that uh, in the description. All that info is going to be there. You can rewatch this stream on my YouTube page. Uh, the link is in my bio, whatever you're watching Facebook or uh, Instagram or TikTok, whatever. Uh, the, the link is in my bio. I have a, all my links thing. You can find my YouTube page there, or you can also find my Twitch page there as well. Or you can listen on podcasts available on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and most other podcast providers that you would probably use. I hope to see you next week as we explore next week, next time as we explore more Matt News. 